Hi, this is Elizabeth Smith-McCrossan, here to provide you with my weekly constituency update for Cumberland North. Today is Monday, October the 2nd, and my mission as your MLA for Cumberland North continues to be to represent you, the people of Cumberland North, to be your voice in the Nova Scotia House of Assembly. I'm an independent MLA, meaning I work for you, the people, based on the foundation of principles in democracy. Building on a foundation that is truth and justice, determination and dedication, honesty, being a servant leader and empowering all people. And I believe wholeheartedly that you and I can build stronger communities if we focus on building on the strength of our veterans that came before us, as well as stand firm on the four pillars of excellence in healthcare, always expecting excellence, affordability, being able to live your life affordably, focusing on our future, which is building upon education and our children, as well as being innovated and using technology and embracing entrepreneurship. That will certainly keep our economy alive now and well into the future. Other work that I focus on that's really important, pulling all these things together, is around improved collaboration for our maritime and Atlantic provinces, as well as protecting the Chignecto Isthmus from flooding, and finding truth and justice for victims of sexual assault and family violence. These priorities are in line with my vision for a positive, vibrant Cumberland North, Cumberland County, Nova Scotia, Maritimes, and in fact, the entire country of Canada. Today, Monday, October the 2nd, is a day of observance for many people for Truth and Reconciliation Day, which was on Saturday, September the 30th. Schools, government offices, and other people are observing Truth and Reconciliation Day today, and therefore many uh, government offices are closed today. My office will reopen on Tuesday, October the 3rd, and you can call us anytime, 902-661-2288, or send me an email, or pop in and see Dan Uh, here at the Amherst office. I do have a legislative assistant that will be working at the Pugwash office on Wednesday this week as well. October is also Mi'kmaq History Month, and it's an opportunity for us to learn more about our history of our Indigenous peoples. And then, of course, yesterday marked Treaty Day, And Treaty Day is celebrated annually here in Nova Scotia, and it's celebrated to reaffirm our treaty relationship, the relationship between the Crown, which is the government, as well as the Mi'kmaq people. As beneficiaries of these treaties, we all are treaty people, and certainly in my role as MLA, I have learned a lot more than I knew previously about the treaties that were signed between the Indigenous people and the crown. And it's really interesting. If you have time today, especially in observance of Truth Reconciliation Day, please take time to to read up and learn more about its very, very interesting history that we all have. There are treaties going back as far as 1725 
And there was another treaty in 1726, 1749, 1752, 1760, 1761, and 1776. It's uh, really interesting to go back and take a read what these treaties said and knowing that the people, the indigenous people of this country, do expect our current governments to uphold those treaties that were signed when we first inhabited this land. The history of the Mi'kmaq people is very long, and our homeland, called Mi'kmaq, is very large. There have been people living here, it's believed, more than 11,000 years. And Mi'kma'ki is made up of all Nova Scotia and Prince Edward Island and large areas of New Brunswick, the Gaspé Peninsula, and Newfoundland. And while many histories are written only from historical documents, understanding our past and our homeland requires the understanding of many different kinds of information. In the past, Mi'kmaq people learned about their culture and history through stories and legends. These oral histories are very important to understanding the past. And in addition, because the history is so old, uh, they use sciences like archaeology and geology to help tell their stories. Mi'kmaq history and culture is like a puzzle, and that has many different pieces. Pieces. Some pieces come from geology, which tell us about the environment in the past, and other pieces come from archaeology, which tells us about where and how our ancestors lived. We also use historical documents that were written mostly by Europeans, since it was rare for Mi'kmaq people to write their own histories down on paper. Most of all, we listen to each other, especially to the elders in the Mi'kmaq community, because it's their stories and legends that help put all the pieces of the puzzle together into a picture they can call their own. Now, one of the most exciting things about the puzzle is that the pieces are all around us, whether we are Mi'kmaq or not. Chances are you are living near a river that once had encampments along it. Along it. Uh, today, these encampments are archaeological sites. All of us live near places with Mi'kmaq names like Shubenacadie, Trakadie. Of course, we have Shinnemacast, Tatamagush. Others may live near certain islands, hills, or special places that are part of Mi'kmaq stories. Perhaps there is a special source of stone nearby that people use to make their tools or a place with clay that people used to make their bowls and containers for cooking. Whether we realize it or not, everyone travels over and through ancestral Mi'kmaq places, and we do it each and every day. Like I said, I am learning more and more all the time. When I was in school, whether it be elementary or high school, back in the day, I really did not learn much, uh, if anything, about the history of the Mi'kmaq people uh, or of our indigenous peoples. The older I get, the more I realize how important it is to know history. Studying history helps us to understand how events in the past made things the way that they are today. Certainly in the world of politics, that's so important. Studying history helps us to understand and grapple with complex questions and dilemmas by examining how the past has shaped global, national, and local relationships between societies and people, including our Indigenous people. One way of thinking about it is think about your own family, your own situation, and all of us have unique stories. And if someone was to judge us because they do not know our full story, they don't know our history, 
it makes it a lot harder to build strong, healthy relationships. So I hope everyone listening can take some time today and into this month as it's Mi'kmaq History Month to learn more about our history and also to take that into consideration even in our everyday lives and our relationships with others, trying to better understand people, be non-judgmental, and always seeking to understand. And I do believe that that helps to build better and stronger relationships. Last week in politics was a busy week. My staff and I are preparing long hours for the fall session of the legislature. And certainly the Shignecto Isthmus, the lack of affordability for people that I'm hearing from each and every day, as well as the ongoing challenges that we are seeing in our healthcare system will be the hot topics uh, in the legislature. And certainly my friends in the NDP are doing an excellent job raising uh, the alarm bells around housing and the lack of housing. Uh, I do want to say how thankful I am for the local leadership we have here, the, the Catholic Church in downtown Amherst, their, their team, their family, um, have allowed space in their church to be used this winter for a winter shelter, meaning that if there's anyone in our area that is without a place to live, they have somewhere to go to find shelter. The lack of available housing throughout all of Nova Scotia, and, and from what I'm seeing in the news, is that it is a nationwide problem. Uh, but we need to take care of things here locally for the people that live in our communities. And last year, we were able to bring forth a task force together, a group of about 50 people that were all like-minded, that saw the needs in our community. There's a lot of people that are living uh, without a home without a, a bed to sleep in every night. And it's really sad to see. Of course, every situation is different. Some people, they just literally cannot find a place to live. Uh, other people, uh, there's family conflict. There's other situations that have led them to where they're at today. And, you know, our job is not to judge. Our job is to help people where they're at and help them to move forward, put one foot in front of the other and find a way that they can have a better life and better days ahead. And if someone does not have a safe place to sleep at night and a safe place uh, to lay their head, then there is no chance, very little chance of them uh, finding a way to, to better themselves, to, to find work, to find employment. You know, when I think back uh, as a registered nurse to one of the first psychology classes that I had, and we talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, and one of the things that that taught me back then, I think I was 17 at the time, was the importance of basic needs being met. That People cannot attain uh, the higher levels of, of satisfaction in life if they don't have their basic needs met of clean air, clean water, shelter, housing, and food, basic nutrition. So we need to ensure the people that are living in our communities that don't have those basic needs, uh, we need to help them get their feet back under them and make sure that they have a safe place to live. So all that to say, I just want to say thank you so much to Cornerstone, which is a board of directors that have been really meeting for about five or six years all with the goal and the, the desire to build more affordable housing, 
here in our community and also to have emergency shelter in place for somebody who is in uh, desperate need of that. And I'm very thankful for this team, as well as the community at the Catholic Church, as well as everyone else in our community that's doing so much behind the scenes, uh, including those that uh, provide food. I, I met with Charlotte Ross last week and had a long talk with her on the phone about the local food bank here in Amherst. There's, of course, food banks throughout Cumberland County and also in Pugwash. But I asked Charlotte how things were going, and she shared with me that the usage at the food bank is up 20 to 25%. And she said there's new people coming that never came before. She said a lot of seniors cannot afford to buy their groceries, as well as hardworking family members. So there's a lot of need out there. And I want to say thank you to each and every volunteer and community citizen that gets up each and every day and finds ways to help other people in our communities that are in need. Now, as your MLA, obviously, I'm seeing things at a policy level, a legislative level that I believe and many others believe if we're changed would help some of these people to be able to afford to live better every day and not have to go to the food bank. And I put out a five-point affordability plan about a month ago, and I will be talking about that in the fall session of the legislature. So a couple of points um, that I'll share with you today, and I've talked about this before, is Nova Scotia is the highest taxed province in the country of Canada. One of the reasons for this is because our province does not index our income tax brackets. So as inflation goes up, our income tax brackets are staying the same. So based on your income, you're paying more tax than any other province in the country. And it's because other provinces increase their income tax brackets in line with inflation each and every year. We also have the lowest basic personal tax exemption, meaning we start paying tax on our income before any other citizens in the country of Canada. I'm going to give you a couple of examples. There was a really good article recently shared by Bill Black. And Bill Black's an older gentleman who is a former businessman, but he really stays up on things. He's always writing really good, informative articles. And he recently wrote an article about how the failure for Houston government to index tax brackets is really hurting the people. So for example, if somebody brought in $30,000 a year in Nova Scotia, that person is paying $1,679 in Nova Scotia provincial income tax. If they lived in Ontario, that same person earning $30,000 would only pay $377. That's a difference of $1,300 Now, if that same person earning $30,000 lived in British Columbia, they would pay $946, a difference of $733. So you can see someone even on low income only earning $30,000 a year is paying uh, double or triple what the provinces of Ontario or British Columbia would be paying. And Alberta is even more significant. Let's look at two other prices. Let's say someone is earning $70,000 a year. If that person lived in Nova Scotia, they would pay $7,179 of provincial income tax. And if they lived in Ontario, they would pay $4,000. That's a difference of $3,000 
uh, on the same income of 70000 Now, if they lived in British Columbia, they'd pay 3142 So again, a difference of $4,000. So very, very significant. And then we'll give a third example. If somebody was earning $150,000 a year, if they lived here in Nova Scotia, they'd pay $21,000 in provincial income tax. In Ontario, they'd pay sixteen. dollars So a difference of about $5,000. If they lived in British Columbia, they would pay $12,774, a difference of over $8,000. So just wanted to share those examples with you this morning that whether someone's making $30,000, $70,000, or $150,000, we are paying uh, significant much more money here in taxes in Nova Scotia. And what that means is people have less money day to day to buy their groceries, to put gas in their car, to go to work uh, or do their errands. And that is really making it life unaffordable to, for many people living here in Nova Scotia. It's causing, like I said earlier, 20 to 25% increase in the usage at our food banks. So if you're listening to this today, please join me in my rally to the provincial government to have them start indexing income tax brackets. Last week, the Minister of Finance, uh, Minister Alan McMaster, released an update on the budget. And we are seeing significant surpluses in the provincial budget. And, And to tie this in to what I just spoke about, about indexing income tax brackets, we saw an increase of $1.26 billion above budget, and that was provincial income tax alone. I believe people need to be able to keep more of their hard-earned money. Now, one of the things that the government will say is, we need that money to improve healthcare system. Well, let's talk about the determinants of health. The number one determinant of health is income. So if people do not have enough income to feed themselves and put a roof over their head, it's going to negatively impact their health. So we need to make sure people have enough money day to day to be able to live and have a healthy life. So let's talk about healthcare just briefly before I finish off my update today. I continue to hear from people about challenges that they are facing with lack of access to family physicians. And of course, recently we found out that uh, two of our psychiatrists are leaving on December the 7th. I'm also being contacted by people about the pain clinic. I did ask Nova Scotia Health uh, Medical Director, Dr. Aaron Smith, last week for confirmation of what is happening with our pain clinic here in Amherst, and I have not received a response from him as of yet, so hopefully we'll hear some news this week that I'll be able to share with everyone. I do want to share two positives with you today, and that is the blood collection at our hospital here at Cumberland Regional has really improved the access to that. You can go online now any day or phone and to make an appointment to get blood work done. And a lot of times there's appointments available the very next day. So I'm really happy to see the improvements there. Uh, a few months ago, I contacted Nova Scotia Health to let them know I was receiving complaints from people about having to wait two to four weeks to, to just get basic blood work done. So really happy to see some improvements there. Also, at the emergency department at Cumberland Regional, uh, they have started funding positions for a nurse practitioner to be there each and every day, seven days a week, uh, eight hours a day. So whether it's 8.30 to 4.30 or 9 to 5, 
uh, or seven to three, there is always a nurse practitioner working alongside the emergency room position at Cumberland Regional. And the purpose of that is for the nurse practitioner to see the patients that are there for non-urgent matters, people that simply don't have a family physician or nurse practitioner primary care provider to go to and have no other choice to access healthcare unless they go to the emergency department. So that is helpful for you to know if you do not have a family physician, one of your options is to go to the emergency department and be seen by the nurse practitioner there so that you don't have too long of a wait. And I know they are staffing a second emergency physician eight hours a day, and they don't have enough physicians to staff that second position every day. But many days, in addition to having the emergency room doctor there 24 hours a day, there is a second physician there some days, eight hours a day, as well as every day, seven days a week, there is a nurse practitioner there eight hours a day. So that is positive news. Of course, I have people contacting my office every day, several times a day, uh, asking for help because they don't have a family physician. And my staff always let people know of the options right now that Nova Scotia Health are promoting. And that is, of course, virtual care, an appointment with the virtual care, uh, or to go to the emergency department. There is also a local phone number that people in Cumberland County can call to have an appointment if you're what is considered, quote, an orphan patient, end quote, meaning you don't have a family physician. You can call this number and ask for an appointment here in Cumberland County. The phone number is one 597 2420. Again, 1-855-597-2420. And you can call that number Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 12 noon. Sometimes when you call that number, there's no answer. I would just be persistent and keep, keep trying. Now, I had many people coming into my office last week very upset about a flyer that they received in the mail showing all of the new pharmacy community clinics in the province of Nova Scotia, and there were none north of Truro. So I had many people contact me saying, here we are once again being forgotten about north of Cobbequid Pass. Uh, Listen, I hear you, and you're absolutely right. It's wrong. And, of course, last week there was a housing by the provincial government about public housing being built, which is great news. 222 new uh, public housing units going to be built here in Nova Scotia, but again, nothing north of Truro, nothing north of the Cobbequid Pass. So I want to assure you that I am letting the, the government know, and I'll be certainly addressing this when we're in the legislature this fall, and I'm sure other MLAs are as well. I mean, our neighbor in Cumberland South is a minister of natural resources. And uh, I'm sure he's not very happy as well. The fact that Cumberland was left out of both of these recent announcements with regards to public housing, as well as the community pharmacy clinics. And not only um, our neighboring Cumberland South, Minister Rushton, but also MLA, the PC MLA for Colchester North, Tom Taggart, was nothing in his area as well. So we need to ensure that all of the centralized decision-making that's happening here in the province changes. We need local decision-making put back in place for healthcare, for education, and for all government departments. So all of rural Nova Scotia is remembered, including, including Cumberland County. Now, having said all that, we have certainly gotten some funding 
in some pretty big areas, which I'm really pleased about. We're going to have a big daycare happening in Pugwash in the next year. Uh, the storm drains are going to be replaced in the village of Pugwash next summer. And Howard's Bridge right now is being replaced in Wallace. Uh, the, pro- the municipality of Amherst, the town of Amherst, just received some funding for infrastructure for water and sewer from the province. So there are some good things happening. There are some positive announcements for funding for our area. But the real big ones like the the community pharmacy clinic and the housing, we need our piece of the pie for that as well. So I just wanted to mention that today and let you know that I'm on it and uh, certainly will continue to be your voice for those issues. All right, as I finish off my update today, I want to wish anyone celebrating a birthday or anniversary this week a very special celebration, including Tamara McKay and Christine Ferguson are celebrating birthdays today, October the 2nd. On Tuesday, October the 3rd, Ernest Gilbert is celebrating a birthday. Happy birthday, Ernie. On Wednesday, October the 4th, Gladys Kosh, my very own Gladys Kosh, is celebrating as well as Perry Wilson. On Thursday, October the 5th, John Dinesfeld from the Wallace area is celebrating a, a birthday. Happy birthday, John. And my niece, my beautiful niece, Courtney Newfeld. On Friday, October the 6th, Don McLean, as well as Kathy Wells. Kathy is a principal out at Cumberland North Academy. So if you have an opportunity, please wish them all a happy birthday, along with Sheila Christie, who is celebrating a birthday on Saturday, October the 7th. I would like to extend my condolences to anyone who has lost a loved one recently, including the family and friends of Ray or Raymond Douglas Moore. Very sorry for this loss for Linda Moore as well as her family. Also extending my condolences to the family of Deborah Emily Carter and certainly thinking of Dougie and Diana Bacon and all of the family uh, at this time of loss. Sending my condolences to the family and friends of Robert Ian Black. I was so sad to see that Ian passed recently. I just saw him at a summer barbecue we held in August. He was there enjoying the music. I was so sad to see that he's passed. Also extending my sympathies to the family and friends of Douglas James Matthews, as well as Elaine McKay Byers. If there's anyone else that has lost a loved one recently, Please accept my condolences at this time. Thank you to CFTA 107.9 and Mr. Ron Bickle and Mr. James Hand for this opportunity to bring you my MLA update for the constituency of Cumberland North. I hope that you have a great week. Remember to take care of yourself, body, mind, and spirit, and always look for opportunities to reach out, be outward focused, and help others. Take care. Have a great week.